This morning we're going to be reading from Luke chapter 17, if you want to turn there. There is a series of messages that I'd like to preach someday, but, uh, but I have not yet been told by the Lord to do that. So as soon as the Lord gives me the okay, I'm going to do that someday. But it's about virtues, a series about virtues that we as a nation seem to be losing. And I'm not preaching that series, we're not starting that series today, but what we're talking about today could easily be included in a series of messages about lost virtues in America. And the message today is going to be very simple, it's very straightforward, it's not complicated, it's easy, everybody here can grasp it, but today I want to speak about one of the most ignored and and often forgotten of all uh, uh, Christian and life virtues, and that's gratitude. Gratitude. You know, we live in a selfish, uh, self-centered, demanding, and ungrateful world, don't we? And it, and it makes life unappetizing, it makes life cruel. And this Thursday, we have a national holiday that has been almost completely lost in our culture between the, 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 the shuffle between Halloween and Christmas and all the things we do for Halloween, getting ready in the decorations, and then we just jump really immediately into Christmas, which is a wonderful holiday, and it's a great thing that we celebrate there. But in the middle of it all, it seems like more and more often, Thanksgiving is forgotten. And I think it's a symptom of the fact that we tend to be ungrateful in today's world. You know, I just want to say, Thursday is Thanksgiving. It is not Turkey Day although I'm going to eat turkey. It is not football day, although I'm going to watch football. It is supposed to be a day when we as a nation take stock of the many, many blessings that God has bestowed upon us and we pause to give Him thanks. Thursday is supposed to be about gratitude. So read with me from Luke chapter 17, beginning with verse 11, and we'll talk about that this morning, uh, this whole idea of gratitude. As Jesus went to Jerusalem, he passed between Samaria and Galilee. As he entered a village, there met him ten men who were lepers, who stood at a distance. And they did that because the law required them to stay at a distance. The law required them as lepers to stay away from people. In fact, if they got into a place where uh, it was crowded and people might uh, come close, they were required by law as they walked down the street to yell, Unclean! Unclean! Stay away from me! So this time they lifted up their voices, but instead of yelling unclean, they began to shout something else. It says they lifted up their voices saying, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. When he saw them, he said to them, go show yourselves to the priest. What they means there is when a, when a leper uh, was cured of leprosy, they had to go to the priest who would examine them and declare them well so they could go back into society. So Jesus is saying to them, listen, Just go to the priest. You're going to be cleared. He's going to let you go back into his culture. You're going to be able to go back to your family. This is what's taking place. And as they went, they were cleansed. There's a whole different message there about acting on the word of the Lord when he says to you to do something because they started heading to the priest before they were cleansed, before they were healed. They said, okay, he said to do this. So they went and then they were healed. But that's not what we're talking about today. And it says one of them, When he saw that he was healed, returned with a loud voice glorifying God and fell down on his face at at his feet, at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. And he was a Samaritan. Jesus said, were not the ten cleansed? Where are the nine? 
Were there not any found to return and give glory to God except this foreigner? Then he said to him, Rise, go your way. Your faith has made you well. Which, by the way, I think Jesus was saying more than just physically well in that situation. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I thank you for meeting us here today. I I believe that you, you had a plan for this day before any of us ever even thought about it. And I pray, God, that that you will speak to us today deep in our innermost being. Speak to us, Lord, past the level of our intellect and past the level of our emotions. Speak to us today, God, in our very innermost being. And and God, I I pray, Lord, you would help us to learn to walk in gratitude for who you are and for all that you've done and all that you've given to us. Lord, I'm asking you to anoint this, this broken vessel and let the miracle of divine communication take place in this, in this church building today. And Lord, I believe you for all of this. In the strong name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. I read that story, and the question comes to my mind, where were the other nine lepers? I mean, we know about the tenth leper. I've heard sermons on that, but I've asked myself this morning, where were the other nine? Not just physically, not just where did they go. I'm sure they went to the priest, and I'm sure they were healed, and they went back to their families. But, but, but where were they mentally, and where were they emotionally? Where were they spiritually? Well, first, they were so wrapped up in what was happening to them that they that they just didn't think about returning to Jesus to give thanks. I'm sure that they saw that they were healed and they went to the priest and they were so excited about seeing their family. I'm not going to judge them. I'm not going to be too harsh on them because I'm sure that they just could not wait to get back home and see their children and actually be able to touch them and give them a hug. So so I'm sure that that's where they were, first of all. But second of all, I also know human nature. And I think that they... Some of them probably believed that they had finally gotten what they had deserved from a God who had been unjust to them. Smitten with this leprosy, they were struggling with a sense of feeling the injustice of the universe. There, you know, the, the, the reality is there are very few of us who have ever gone through anything bad in this life who, who don't say to themselves, the universe is unjust, that God is unjust, life is unfair, the world is unjust, that somebody or something has wronged me, somebody ought to pay for what's happening to me. So, so then what happens is, when we, when we think that way, that when the bad thing is removed, when the burden is lifted, when the miracle comes, then, that, then they cannot find gratitude because they believe that it's simply God trying to even the score for the unfairness of the situation. I'm finally getting paid back. You know, the, the truth is, and I want you to hear this very clearly because this is a huge key to gratitude. You can't really be grateful for receiving what you think you're owed. You can't be grateful for receiving what you think you're owed. You know, if, you've, if you borrow $10 from me, uh, well, let's put it the other way around. If I borrow $10 from you, because that's probably more likely, I might, I, don't, I might not have $10 for you, but you might have $10 for me. But, but if, you, if I borrow $10 from you and, and, and then I wait 30 years and on my, on my 82nd birthday, 87th birthday, 80, let's see, how old am I? 86th birthday, that's the day, that's the day I'm looking for. The 86th birthday, I walk in 
and, and after I borrow that, and 30 years later, I walk in and give you 10 bucks. And that moment in time, after 30 years, you don't look at me and say, oh, Pastor Dave, this is so wonderful. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. No, what you say in that moment is, finally, it's about time. Finally, you bring it uh, when it's too late for me to enjoy it. It's too late for me to do anything with it. You don't feel gratitude for a debt that has been repaid. And that's the way most people approach most of their blessings most of the time. I, I heard a story about a, a married couple in their 60s whose son and their daughter-in-law tragically was killed in a car crash and they were this this older couple were they were left with their nine-year-old grandson to raise and they they took that little boy in and they adopted him and they raised him and by the time he was 12 he was he was already wayward by the time he was 15 he was just hell on wheels and he was making these old people just absolutely miserable and they called their pastor and and said would you can you talk to this boy see if it will do any help so he went to the home and the pastor met with the boy here he was, 15-year-old boy, angry, rebellious. And after some, some conversation, the pastor finally said to him, you know, I remember when your parents died. I preached that terrible funeral, and I, I remember you at nine years of age sitting there, and, and I remember your grandparents sitting there next to you with their arms around you, just broken and weeping with you. And the pastor said, did it dawn on you? that they didn't have to take you in? They'd already done their job. They had raised their child. They had already paid their dues. They didn't have to take you in, but they took you in. They, they gave you everything. They, they, they started over again and in, in their 60s and trying to raise a nine-year-old child. And your, your grandma's got arthritis and your grandpa's on Social Security. And they did everything they could do. And they gave you everything. And that little boy looked at that, or he wasn't a little boy, that young man looked at the pastor like he, was, like he was speaking a foreign language. And he said, don't you think I know that? He said, do, do you think that I don't know that? I know that. But then he said, how long am I supposed to be grateful? Am I supposed to spend the rest of my life saying thank you? And the pastor said, yes! Yes! See, the deal is that every single one of us in this room is supposed to spend the rest of our lives saying thank you. Thank you. Paul the Apostle, he said, I feel like I'm in debt ever since I got saved and I'll never pay it off. He said, I'm in debt to the Jews. He said, I'm in debt to the Gentiles. He said, I'm, I'm in debt to God. And, and you know, the reality is every single morning that you wake up, you ought to be grateful for the saving blood of Jesus Christ. You ought to be grateful for the breath that you breathe. You ought to be grateful for the blessings that you receive. You ought to be grateful that your heart is still beating. And you wake up and you say, but my knees are hurting. Well, thank God that you still have your knees. I tell you, we live in such a, an ungrateful, rebellious, self-centered world that, you know, you can buy a child an ice cream cone and, and then they can sulk all day because it didn't have sprinkles on top or, or it wasn't a double dip cone or it wasn't the right flavor. You know, you take a kid to Disney World and then you spend, spend 5,000 bucks while you're there just on the food alone. If you've ever been there, that's about right. And on the way home at midnight, they sulk because you won't stop and buy pizza. 
there has to come some moment where we say, this was wonderful. This was great. Thank you, Lord. There has to come some moment where we quit thinking about what we deserve and, and what is ours and what is coming to us and, or what we don't have. And we, we ought to be able to say to somebody somewhere, I really appreciate this. I'm really grateful for this. Dr. R Mark Rutland is one of my mentors. And a few years ago, he told about how he was teaching uh, about leadership to a group of businessmen. And he mentioned about a habit that he has of trying to write notes of gratitude to people whom he was leading. And afterward, one of the executives went, went up to Dr. Rutland and said, there's one thing you said today that I dis disagree with. I really disagree with this. He said this. He said, I never thank my people for a job well done. He said, I only thank them for something extra, something beyond the call of duty, something more. He said, if you thank people for a job well done, it sounds like they're doing you a favor. And I, I hear that and I think, what a puny life view. What, what a puny life view. Can I empower you this morning with a Christian virtue that will change your life? You know, there are so few husbands that really ever thank their wives you know, thank you for being married to me. Thank you, Julie, for, for being married to me. Thank you for saying yes, because I didn't deserve that. You know, everybody in this room looks at me, and they look at Julie, and they say, how? And I say, the grace of God, brother, the grace of God. You know, husbands, every husband that's here in this place, I want you to look at your wife right now. Do that. Look at your wife, if, you, if she's here with you. And I want you to say this. I want you to say this. I want you to say, say, look at them and say, thank you. Say it. Say, thank you. Let me hear it. Say, thank you. Come on, guys. You can do better than this. Say, thank you. Say, you could have married somebody good looking. <laughs> so thank you. Thank you for having mercy on me. You know, I mean, I look at my wife. You could have married somebody rich and you're stuck with this poverty-stricken Pentecostal preacher. Thank you. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for always being there for me when I need you. Husbands, tell your wife, thank you for all the, the work you do uh, around the house that I should probably help more with. Uh, thank you for the cooking and thank you for cleaning. Thank you for being an encouragement to me. Thank you for your wisdom, even, even when, I, uh, when I don't want to listen to it. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for all that you are and all that you do and all that you mean to me. Guys, I want to empower you. Spend some time just thanking your wife. The day can come when you will wish to God that you had a wife like her. To those who aren't married yet, I say, resolve today that when God brings your spouse into your life that you will spend some time thanking her. Ladies, your turn. So many wives spend their emotional energy griping and moaning about stuff that is absolutely inconsequential. Lady gave a testimony one time. She was at a ladies' meeting, and and uh, and she said this. And she was giving her testimony, and she said, she said to all those ladies, she said, my husband died last year. She said, I, I was like so many of you that I used to get frustrated with him and aggravated with him. And every day, two or three times a day, she'd she'd say, I, I'd look at him and I'd say, please don't leave the toilet seat up. A little awkward in here now, man. 
She said, that just really was my pet peeve. That just grated on me. That just ground on me. Every time I'd go into the bathroom, I'd, I'd come back out and say, can't you put the toilet seat down? What's the matter with you? And she asked the question, she said, how many of you ladies have ever griped at your husband about that? And many, many of the ladies raised their hand. And she looked out across that crowd and with tears streaming down her face, she said, dear God, I wish there was somebody in my house to leave the toilet seat up. Be thankful for what God has given you. You know, we can get so blinded with our own self-interest and, and ingratitude that we lose track of what we have. You know, God supplies us with a car and we gripe because we want a better one. God supplies us with the ability to move and walk without having to get up every morning of our lives and struggle to get into a wheelchair. And we gripe and moan because our feet hurt. We lose track of God's blessing. Now, I'm not, listen, I'm not trying to lay the guilt trip on you. I'm not trying to do what our parents did. How many of you had that moment in the dinner table when you didn't eat all your food and your parents looked at you and said, eat your dinner. Their, their, foods in, their, foods, their kids in India dying of starvation. Anybody had something like that? You know, kids in China dying of starvation. You know, back then I was like, well, here you go. Send it to them. You know, they can have mine. I've had plenty. They can have mine. But but here's the reality is, is this, you know, we, we can't mail it to them. But 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 the reality is whether I eat it or not d does not change the fact that there are children starving. So as a child, whether I ate that food or didn't eat it, it was not about whether there were children starving. It was about framing the issue of life and framing the situation and helping to try to develop a heart of gratitude in my heart is what my parents were trying to do. It doesn't mean that we have to live in guilt because because we, we have food to eat and other people don't. But it does mean that we ought to be live in gratitude because we live in a land of abundance and because we have more than enough food to eat. The, what you're going to eat for lunch today is more than many people will have uh, in that one meal. You're going to have more than many people will have all week long. And that's not to make you feel guilty. That's not to make you say, oh man, I just feel bad about all those people. It's to help you understand how blessed you really are so that at, with every bite you take, you can begin to say, God, I'm so grateful you've been so good to me. You know, in, in 1888, a Methodist preacher was invited to speak at Bedlam. Anybody ever heard of Bedlam? Not the word, but the place. Bedlam was an absolutely reprehensible mental asylum in London, England. It was so horrible in its treatment of the mentally ill and the insane that its name, Bedlam, entered the English vocabulary as a word to describe a scene of uproar and confusion and a place of pandemonium and chaos. So when you say, boy, there's just Bedlam in there, you just mean that there's just out, it's out of control. And it comes from the name of that, that, that uh, insane asylum that was criminal in the way it treated the insane. Well, this Methodist preacher went there to preach. And as he walked through the front door, one of the inmates thrust his head through the bars and screamed down at him, Have you thanked God today? And the preacher said, Yes, I have. And the man said, Yes, but have you thanked him for your sanity? You know, that frames the issue, doesn't it? Have you thanked him for your breath? 
Have you thanked him for another day to live? Have you thanked him for your family? Young person, maybe you, maybe you think your mom or your dad is, is just a real pain and, and you spend your energy griping and complaining and moaning because parents just don't understand, which by the way, that's a whole different message, but it's not your parents' job to understand you, it's your job to understand your parents. They, and you say, they just don't get me. They don't understand. Let me, let me ask you this. Have you thanked uh, them for the, for the fact, have you thanked God for the fact that you have a mother and father? Because there are plenty of people in this world and in this church who are parentless, brotherless, sisterless. They're alone in this world and they're making their, as they make their way through this life. Have you thanked God for your family? Frankly, I'm shocked sometimes at the level of disloyalty that I hear coming from people, both young and old. When they talk about their family, I hear from all generations, but it seems as if it's becoming pandemic among young people of our country. Uh, uh, let, me, let me just talk to some that are from the younger generation. I hear many young people say, my family is weird. My father is just a pain. My, my mom, she's just a real head case. I don't, they don't understand anything. But, but, but not, the fact is, not everybody can have parents that are that weird. You know, everybody has weird relatives, right? I mean, everybody has that one Uncle Frank that you're like, okay, is Uncle Frank coming? Okay, this is going to be unusual. There's something weird is going to happen, right? Everybody, you have an Uncle Frank? If, you're not, if you don't, I just want to say it's nice to meet you, Frank, because <laughs> it's you. Because <laughs> if you don't know of one, it's you because every family's got one. But everybody doesn't have everybody that's off like that. And I feel it's not only disloyal, but it's ungrateful. And I just challenge young people today, you can be part of breaking that pattern, that you can be, be the person that says, I, I speak good things about my family because I'm grateful for them. You know, there's, there's a thing among men that we, 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 when we get together, we talk real big. I don't know if you ladies know this. We talk real big when you're not around. Yeah, I'm not a leader in my house. <laughs> yeah, right. Okay. You know, you know, we talk all these things, and, and I, I, I hear men sometimes running their wives down and, 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 and even playfully saying these bad things about them. And, and I understand there's some, some banter and just some fun things, but, but I challenge you, man, you be the one that's in that group of men saying, not me. I cannot believe the woman God gave to me. I cannot believe how God has blessed me with the woman who, who, who's, who's given to me for my spouse. She is so wise and she is so faithful and she loves God so much. I thank God for my wife. I urge you, when you go home today, would you do this? If you can, hug your daddy. Hug your daddy. <coughs> Say, I'm so grateful for you. Not everybody can. Take your mom in your arms and say, I'm so grateful for you. You know, every time you begin to think that you're really something and you become proud, you have to remember that your mama changed your diapers when nobody else wanted to touch you. Even your daddy was probably holding you out at arm's length saying, here's your daughter. Here's your son. There has to come a moment where you're grateful for that. And you drew your first nutrients from your mama's body. That's a humbling thought. You live because she lives and gave birth to you. And you say, well, well, not me. I'm adopted. Well, if you're adopted, you should be all the more grateful. You should be all the more grateful because you were chosen. You were selected. For the rest of the people in this room, it was just the luck of the draw. Right? It was the luck of the draw, and some of you, I look, you know, we look at our families, and I'm just telling you, don't ever buy a lottery ticket because you don't have any luck. But, uh, 
But I'm just kidding. But if you were adopted, you were chosen. You should be most grateful of all. There ought to come some moment over the Thanksgiving holiday where you sit down on on the sofa next to your dad and you say, have I ever told you how much I admire you? Have I ever said to you that that you're my hero and I want to be like you? Have I ever ever told you how grateful I am for all the money you've poured into my life because I never realized how much stuff costs and, and I know I've cost you a lot. I don't want to pay off some of my debt with my life. By being this person that you'll be proud of. Ought to come a moment during this Thanksgiving holiday when we as parents sit down with our children and tell them how grateful we are for them. Many of you know that Julie and I didn't have children until we'd been married for 12 years. That wasn't because we chose it that way, but we had reached the conclusion that we weren't going to have any children. It just wasn't God's plan for our life, and we were okay with that. I had said to Julian multiple times, I said, if we never have children, I'm content with you as my wife for the rest of my life. I love being married to you. But I remember the day that we found out that Aaron was on her way. And I was overwhelmed with just unbelievable gratitude because I didn't think it was going to happen. And I remember one moment when Erin was about a year old. She hadn't been walking very long, but she came into the computer room. I was at home and I was sitting in our office, the computer room there, and I was sitting at my computer working on something, and she came in, and, and she wanted to sit on my lap. And so I just kind of pushed the chair back and picked her up and held her in my arms, and we just sat there together. This is like yesterday. And after a little while, she just, sitting there, she just kind of relaxed and she laid her head back. You know that moment, every parent here knows that. And she laid her head back on my, on my chest. And the only way I can describe it is she just relaxed and just sort of melted into me. You know what I'm talking about. And I remember sitting there. And the tears began to just roll down my cheeks. Because that moment, it dawned on me that I thought I would never have a moment like that. And I began to quietly thank God for that quiet, simple little daddy-daughter moment. You know, we sing songs of gratitude. And as we do, the Lord takes my mind back to the past 17 years as we've had our daughters. And I, I, I can't help but tear up as I think about the hundreds and hundreds of hugs and kisses from my little girls that I never thought I'd have. I think about the hundreds of good night daddies that I have enjoyed. I think about the thousands of dads that I cherish. And they need to hear from me how grateful I am for them. There has to come that moment when we realize what a blessing they are to us and we thank God for them and we let them know how grateful we are for them. There, there ought to come a moment during this Thanksgiving holiday when you, when you, whether you can't, whether you have to call them or you're able to do it in person where you speak to your brother or your sister in a, in a way of just exposed candidness that will shock them. And you say, you know, I, I, I have realized over the years as we have grown up what a great person you are. 
But I'm grateful for you. Thank you for being my brother. Thank you for being my sister. And I know they'll blow it off and they'll probably make some smart remark like, well, I didn't have much choice about it, you know. But I'm telling you, deep in their heart, it's going to mean a lot to them because people like to know that somebody is grateful, not only to them, but for them. See, gratitude is a virtue that brings a sweetness to life. Gratitude arises from the humility of knowing that whatever I have, even the breath that I breathe, is not what I deserve. It's not what I deserve. You know, the the truth is, if I got what I deserve, I'm going to hell right this moment. If I get what I deserve, I'm going to drop straight into the flames. I hear people say all the time in today's culture, I just want what's coming to me. Not me. Mm -mm. (laughs) No, thank you. No, thank you. I do not want what's coming for for me. I, I, I don't want that at all. What was coming to me went to Jesus. And what Jesus deserved came to me. By his stripes I'm healed. By his blood I'm cleansed. I know what's coming. Uh, I want what's coming to him. And that's grace. That's heaven. That's my glorified body. And and there's a strange paradox in in all of this. You know, some of the people I've I've known in, in, in life that are that are the most battered by life. You know these kind of people that are just, just seems like that, that all through their life is just a constant ongoing war of hardship and sorrow and pain. And, and, it's just, and, and some of those people have been some of the most grateful people I've ever known. Maybe, maybe it crushed them to a level of brokenness where they can respond with gratitude, but I've known people that were, that were sick or crippled or stricken with trouble and pain in life, and their lives are filled with joy, and they just seem so joyful and happy. And then I've known gifted people, privileged people. People, you know, for example, that were athletically gifted, not like me, you know. Anybody remember that commercial? Show us that three-inch vertical. Anybody? Anybody? I'm the only one who remembers that old commercial. Well, let's just say a three-inch vertical would make me jealous with my athletic ability. When I was in high school, they did not time me with a stop clock on the 40. They timed me with a calendar. I have, I, I'm just here to tell you I'm not athletically gifted. But I've seen those guys, you know, they just can do anything. They can, you know, they can dunk a basketball and eat a donut at the same time. You know, those kind of people or, or people who have just musical talent oozing out of the pores. You know what I'm talking about. People sort of like Mary Beth, you know, that, that they don't even have to try. It's just who they are. It's how God made them. They wired them that way. Or, or I've known people who have had more than enough money to do whatever they wanted to do, whenever they wanted to do it. And I've known people like that who just live in cantankerous, rebellious self-pity, who are always griping and moaning and have no joy in their life and no gratitude there has to be some sense in which we take stock of our lives and we realize the healing the transforming work that Jesus has done in us we see that and we recognize that and then we like this one leper turn back to him and we glorify him and we say thank you thank you thank you thank you thank you Let the others sulk. Let the others turn in on themselves. Well, the universe has finally paid off. But let us, let us be people who are filled with gratitude for people, gratitude to people, and gratitude toward God. Let me conclude 
What a passage of scripture I want you to see and then we'll be finished. Turn to the book of Proverbs, if you will, 30th chapter, beginning with verse 15, says this, the leech has two daughters crying, give, give. There are three things that are never satisfied. Indeed, four things never say it is enough. The grave, the barren womb, the earth that is not filled with water, and the fire that says it is, it is enough, that never says it is enough. Fire demands fuel, more fuel that will go out. A parched earth longs for more water, more water, more water. The barren womb longs to be filled with a child. And the grave yawns wide for more souls, more souls, more souls. There is a spirit that is the spirit of the leech. It fastens itself onto the ankle of life and sucks the blood out and it is never satisfied. It is never enough. It is never enough. We have to guard to make sure we're not those people. Especially in a society of plenty like we have. I'm going to tell you a story that I heard not too long ago. There was a man who went into a restaurant to eat. When he got there, there was a basketball team of kids, about probably 6th or 7th grade, 12, 13-year-old kids in there. They were in the back of the restaurant, and, and the coach had taken them to play in some tournament somewhere in the area, and afterwards they went into this little restaurant in the area there, and they were in the back of the restaurant having their little party to celebrate the tournament. And as time went on, it just got rowdier and rowdier back there. And finally, the coach just stood up, and the man heard him say, you know, I want to tell you something. This is almost not worth it. The man realized what was happening, because here were these kids, these, these people who had taken time to work with these kids and to teach them how to play and they had taken time out of the schedule to take them to this tournament and they had watched over them and had taken them out after the tournament and some of them had gotten hamburgers and they complained because they didn't get a chocolate sundae and, and some of them got french fries and they complained because they didn't get onion rings and some didn't like what they got and they wanted something else and there was all of this stuff going on and and you know we've created this whole culture that feels that like being uh, dissatisfied gives us power and we love the moment of sending it back and saying, this is not done properly. You don't give this to the king. And as this man was leaving that restaurant, after seeing all that, he saw a rather large woman in the lobby. It looked like she was about 70 years old and she was holding the hand of a little tiny child, about three years old. There was one of those giant gumball machines in the lobby of that restaurant. You know what I'm talking about. Not the little things like this, but I mean the great, great big giant ones, and it was filled with the giant gumballs in it. You know, you know you've seen those? that big as a fist, you know? And, uh, and anyway, the little child saw that with the great big huge gumballs in there. And the child said, let's, let's, do the gum, let's do the machine, Grandma. Let's do the machine. And so... She got her purse and started fishing everything out, pulled out everything, uh, you know, except the kitchen sink out of there. Uh, and finally, she, she found the proper coins in her purse and she put them in the slot and, and out rolled this giant gumball. She caught it. She pulled it out and, and, and he said, he looked at her and he said, can I have the whole thing? 
And she said, open your mouth. And he could, he could hardly get his tiny little mouth around that gumball. She just pushed it in there, you know, and, 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 uh, and, he, and he's holding this great big yellow gumball in his mouth. He can hardly even move his mouth because it's in there so big. And, and he just looks up at his grandma and says, thank you, gumball. Thank you, grandma. You know what that man said? He said, I just wanted to go back inside to that little league basketball team and drag them out there and say, that's the way it's supposed to be. There just has to be some moment where to heaven, to, to Jesus, to life, to each other, to God, to, to those who serve us, to our parents, to our grandparents, to our children, where we look at life and we look at all that we have been given and all the blessings of God and we say, thank you, Gribble. It just has to happen. That makes your life worth living, and it's, it's the payoff for somebody else. It's the payoff for your, for your mom, for your dad to say, when they hear you and they say, oh, they understand the sacrifice I made for them. I'm so glad they see it. Don't allow yourself to face that terrible moment where the call comes and your mother's voice is on the line weeping. And she says, Daddy's gone. And you wonder to yourself, did I ever tell him thank you? Don't let that moment come. Take some time to say thanks to God. Take some time to say thanks to those you love. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, first of all on this day, we want to say thank you to you. Because Lord, you took the punishment that I had earned with my sin and you carried that on the cross and you, and, you, and you took what I rightly deserved because your word says that the wages of sin is death. That's what I earned. And you said, I'll pay that. And then you gave me what you had coming and that was eternal life. And you offered me forgiveness and freedom and a life with, with our Father in heaven forever. And Lord, I thank you that it was not about my good works. Because then, Lord, I would never know how, when I, when I'd done enough. I would always live in the, with that, that thing in the back of my, my mind, wondering, have I done enough to earn my way to heaven? But it's not about that at all. I can't earn my way. It's not about my good works. It's not about being good enough. I can never be good enough. And even if I could, Lord, I can never, ever do anything to remove the sin that I've already sinned. That's what, that's what you can do. So, Lord, I say thank you. And, Lord, I pray that each of us, we would take stock of our lives. You have given us absolutely priceless treasures all around us. In our parents, in our children, our grandparents our brothers, our sisters, our children, absolutely priceless treasures that are a gift from you. God, help us not to take them for granted. Those, Lord God, that are broken and those that are running from you, those that are rebellious, those that are pushing everyone else away, God, I pray that you would still help us to be grateful and to love them, to pray for them. 
And Lord, I pray that you would teach us not just on Thanksgiving Day to be grateful, but Lord, that you would give us a grateful heart, that we would live constantly with our hearts filled with gratitude, constantly amazed at your goodness, constantly amazed at your grace. And Lord, that it would, we would find the, the sweetness of life in, the, in that moment. With heads bowed and eyes closed and there's nobody looking around.